Good morning. Uh, it's always great to be back uh, in the house of the Lord to just worship God together. You know, yesterday evening before we started, I talked to a new friend. She says she's an anesthesiologist and she says, I have a special skill. I put people to sleep with medicine. And I was thinking, I also have a special skill. You know? I put people to sleep by talking. <laughs> now this year, our theme is uh, following Christ, uh, what it means to be a follower of Christ, okay? Uh, we started with the Psalms of Ascents, which is from Psalm 120 to 35, right? Um, that following Jesus is a journey of long obedience in the same direction. And then the Lent series talk about costly grace. To follow Jesus is grace, but it is also costly. Then we look at the heroes of faith, those who have followed Christ before us. And then in June, we look at the Song of Songs, which is um, what it means to follow Jesus in the area of sexuality. And finally, in July, we look at the book of James, which is the life of a follower of Christ, the marks of spiritual maturity. And so today, uh, we'll end off this series. And then the rest of August, we'll look at following Jesus uh, as a family. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we commit this time to you. Pray for the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts. They will see Christ lifted up. You give us a desire to draw close to you. And Father, that you will be glorified. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer is the most intense, most ancient, most universal response of our religious instincts. It touches infinite extremes. It can be so simple that the lips of infants can utter, and yet so sublime that the mature believers struggle to touch the majesty on high. Prayer is a Christian's vital breath and native air. Now these chim words, of course, are not from me. This is from Oswald Sanders in his book, The Spiritual Leadership. It's to emphasize the importance of prayer. And we ask ourselves, do we just pay lip service to prayer? We say it's important, but how is it really important to you? By, well, how much time do you spend praying a week? Because what we find to be important, we will spend time, right? And mastering the art of prayer is like mastering any other thing, like swimming or playing the piano. It needs commitment and time. Now, we may be busy, but we always find time for the things we like to do, right? Exercising, flying drones, watching K-drama. To Martin Luther, who was a really busy man, he was asked, what do you plan to do tomorrow? And he said, tomorrow I plan to work. I'll work from early in the morning to late in the evening. In fact, I have so much to do that I'll spend three hours praying. Different people going through similar circumstances. Some end up bitter and angry, others calm and patient. And the difference is our, how we rely on God. The key is our prayer life. And we face many challenges. Externally, when we look at the geopolitical challenges, just look at all the superpowers in the world, you know. The US, where I lived for 10 years, right, is so polarized now. Uh, European Union is divided with Brexit, and of course, UK is imploding on herself. China uh, has this zero COVID policy, right? And it's creating a mess in the global supply chain. And then now they are so tense between Taiwan and China because of somebody's visit. And we say, ah, you know, we won't have war, but we just witnessed a war in Russia and Ukraine that's still ongoing. And so we, we live in a time that is like on the political powder keg. Externally, then internally with inflation, possible recession, 
And then personally, right, our own struggles, especially just going through these three years of pandemic. And the key then is our prayer life. How we rely on God. And it's not just your personal prayer life, but our corporate prayer life. Now, our church vision to become a spirit-filled, fervently praying church family. And concretely, we have expressed it by solitude, by silence, by Lectio Divina, listening to God's Word and responding and praying according to His Word. But how much of that do we incorporate into our personal prayer life? We have our prayer meetings, P3, our uh, combined prayer meetings, our CPR, but do we attend? This past week, we just had our prayer meeting, our P3. Do we attend the prayer meeting? Because the rest of our vision to make disciples and then also to impact our generation, community and beyond, the foundation is... The first pillar is, is prayer, is driven by prayer. And so in the book of James, when it talks about marks of spiritual maturity, it says, first is how we respond to trials, to rejoice. And then how do we respond to the rich and the poor? He was talking about the whole benefaction system of the Roman Empire, that you only help people because you can get benefit from it. And then how do you control our tongue? Cultivate our thoughts because uh, from our thoughts come what we say. Then the last two weeks, James 4 and James 5, we talk about moving from our ego, our self-centeredness to our arch-ego, arch-ego, our champion of our faith, Jesus. Basically, you know, our whole uh, journey of following Jesus, of being a Christian, is to become more Christ-like. And so how do we deal with conflicts? How do you respond when you're sufficient to be generous? How do you respond when you're suffering to be patient? And then finally, James ends with prayer. Usually in a Greek epistle, a Greek letter, it ends by the author praying for his readers. But in this case, James didn't pray for them. He taught them about prayer. And so, as we look at James chapter 5, verse 12 to 20, is to stand firm in prayer as a community. We want to think about how can we build a deeper prayer life. We look at a whole passage from verse 12 onwards. There were seven imperatives. I grouped them into five. First is don't swear. Secondly, when you're suffering, pray. When you're sufficient, praise. So you look at verse 12 to 13 when we face swearing, suffering, and sufficiency. To stand firm in prayer. Then verse 14 to 20 is uh, call the elders to pray when you're sick. Confess your sins when you're sinful. So we look at standing firm in prayer as a community when we face sickness and sins. Verse 12. But above all, now above all indicates that this is a conclusion. He's coming to the end of his letter. You know, it's a summary. He says, My brethren, do not swear. Now, do not swear doesn't mean curse, okay? It means don't make oaths, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under judgment. James is quoting from Jesus uh, in Matthew. At the time, you know, when they agree to do something, they feel it's not enough. You must make an oath. So they say, I swear by the temple. I swear by God's name. But they end up not doing. So Jesus says, don't let your yes be yes. He's emphasizing on integrity. See, in James, he's talking about a community. And community is built, what is important is the trust between individuals. And trust is built on a personal integrity. And so Jesus is saying, you know, be a people of integrity, to have integrity. So when the people around you, your colleagues, your classmates look at you, are you a person of integrity? When you say you do something, will you do it? 
Or is it after you say something, you know, they will go behind your back and say, oh, yeah, this person is like that one, wouldn't do one. Let your yes be yes and no be no. Verse 13, he says, are you suffering? Then pray. Are you cheerful? Then praise. Now, just before this, we talk about suffering and sufficiency. So, when you are cheerful, you are sufficient, well, praise God. What he's saying is that prayer is a lifestyle. You talk to God, it's like breathing. Whatever situation you're in, talk to God. And not just talk to God for yourself, but for each other. The best thing we can do for one another as a community of faith is to pray. So, you know, when I first became senior pastor, I asked God this question. I said, how am I going to love the people? Because previously, you know, as a pastor, it's usually young adults or people, you know, I, I know them. I know them, I can love them, I can pastor them. But then, you know, as a church, Cantonese and Chinese and English congregation, that's the question I asked God and He gave me two words, the Word and prayer. And so I know of everything that I do, teaching of the Word is important. And during the pandemic, we see this, right? When all our activities stop, it's the Word of God that feeds our soul. But not just the word, but also prayer. And so right from the beginning, every Thursday, I was, those who have signed up, right, I would broadcast a prayer request. Do you have any prayer requests? And those who respond, I will pray for them. And then every Monday, which is my off day in the morning, after I drop the kids, I will go to botanic gardens and run, then I will pray. Because that's my expression of love for you, my prayer. And so friends, as a community, do we pray for each other? How much time do you spend a day? Or don't say a day, like one week. How much time do you spend praying? Prayer is the vital breath of a Christian. And why we pray? Earlier in the pastor's voice, I quoted from Rabbi Abraham Herschel. He says, prayer is an invitation to God to intervene our lives, to let His will prevail in our affairs. It is an opening of a window to Him in our will and effort to make Him the Lord of our soul. When we pray, we recognize Jesus as Lord. We belong to Him. We need Him. And so we slow down. Instead of rushing from one thing to another, we slow down to seek His will. And the presupposition is a God who is willing to listen to prayer. That's why we pray, right? If God is not willing, then you, no matter what you say, no use. Otto Whitaker shared this story about his five-year-old daughter. Since one summer, it was really hot. She came up to him and says, Dad, can we go swimming? And he thought, you know, the, the, to bring the whole family to the pool is really expensive. So he said, no. But she kept insisting. She asked him, why? Why not? Why not? And so finally he told her, it's too expensive. So it was a good answer, but she was not satisfied. So in a slight defiance, she said, well, I will talk to God. And she walked back to her room. So the father was amused. He walked to the a door quietly and just listened. And she prayed. She says, God, you know it's hot, really hot. And I want to swim. My dad says it's too expensive. So can you do something about it? And then what she did next warmed Whitaker's heart. She changed into a swimwear, put on her towel over her shoulders, walked out of the house and sat on the steps with her chin in her hand and her elbows resting on her lap. You know, it's like, hmm. And at that moment, the phone rang. He picked up the phone and it was their neighbour. The neighbour had just moved in. They wanted to know them but didn't have an opportunity. And then the neighbour said, you know, it's really hot today. Would you like to join my family uh, to go swimming at our private club? His wife says, yes, but you know, when are you all leaving? Because we, we, we didn't have, don't have time to pack. And then the neighbour says, oh, don't worry, we also haven't packed. In fact, I just thought about this to go swimming a few minutes ago. 
You know, friends, I share this story to, with you not to tell you that if you go, hmm, you know, go answer your prayer. <laughs> but tell you that our God is willing to respond to prayer. And so let us stand firm in prayer as a community and face swearing, suffering, and sufficiency. Secondly, verse 14 to 20, is sickness and sin. Now, this text is a bit uh, controversial sometimes, so let us take a little time to unpack it. Is any one of you sick? Now, clearly he moved on to another subject. Sick, then he must call the elders of the church and they are to pray with him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, when you're sick, why do you call the elders of the church? Are they special? Is it because they have more power? Remember I shared with you before when I was in the US. Once I was preaching, after that, a lady came to talk to me. Now, I don't really know her because she seldom attends our church. She stood very close to me and then suddenly in talking, she, she went to a spasm. She went, oh. So I was a bit shocked. I, wow, I raised my arms to protect myself, you know. They asked her, what's happening? She said, oh, don't worry, you know. I'm very sensitive to the Holy Spirit and I feel the Holy Spirit is really strong in you. So I had a spasm. Oh, I tell you. I almost burst out laughing, okay? I was like, oh! You know, it's like Star Wars, the, the Jedi, you know. The force is strong in this one. No, this, when you call the elders to pray for you, it's not because they are special. It's not because they have more faith. But it's because they have spiritual authority and accountability over this local group of believers, over this community of faith. In 1 Peter, the word elders is used synonymously with shepherd, which is pastor and overseer. So basically, one day I have to give an account for you guys before God because I'm the shepherd. And you call the shepherd to pray because of the sense of accountability and authority, not because my prayer God will answer more. Then it says, anoint the person with oil. Why? You know, sometimes we go to Israel, we like to buy those special oil, right? You know, I get a lot of gifts, you know. I'm thinking, you go to Israel, got so many things to buy. Why you buy oil for me? <laughs> because they think, oh, you pastor, you always pray for people, use special oil to anoint people. No, oil is good, but actually, no, no need to special, you know. Why did they use oil? For several reasons. First, it could be medicinal value. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, remember, the Good Samaritan put oil on the man who was injured. So oil was used as a medicine. So here you can say, oh, so we pray and use medicine and see doctor, you know, okay, it's a good conclusion. Or it could be for religious purpose, sacramental purpose, like the Lord's Supper, we just observe. In some circles, the Lord's Supper has special value, purpose. Now, as Baptists, we treat, we treat it as symbolic. Okay, but some has religious purpose. And so the early church, they practiced Uche lay on. Uche is prayer lay on is anointing with oil, which is from James 5, okay? But when Christianity became the official uh, religion of Rome, they restrict this uh, privilege only to the priests. Only the priests can do Uche lay on, okay? Prayer and anoint with oil. By 825 AD, they developed in the practice of extreme unction. Extreme unction means last rites. Before you die, you get a priest to anoint you and pray so that you can remove the remaining sin in your body and ensure your soul goes to heaven. Now, first, note that it is different from the original meaning of James, right? James 5 is you pray and anoint with oil the sick so they can get better and live well. Extreme unction is you anoint and pray for the sick so they can die better. Not get well, you know, it's last right. So, you know, when I can't anoint you with oil and pray for you, you better be careful. No, not only is it 
uh, different from the understanding of James, it is not biblical. Because the point we are saved, the moment you are born again, by trusting in Jesus Christ, all our sins are forgiven. And later, this practice continued uh, within the Catholic Church. In 1548, the Council of Trent, because of the Reformation, the Christians you know, went out, right? And so, the church at that time, Catholic means universal, okay? Catholic, but because their headquarters was in Rome, so it became Roman Catholic. Okay, so the, the term Catholic Church means universal church, but because the, the Protestant came out, so no, no longer universal. Now, in Council of Trent, they had to determine what do we believe now that we have this, this faction that went out. And so they listed down all their doctrines, and extreme unction is one of them. Now, why do they use oil? The third reason could be symbolic. And I take this reason, being Baptist, we are always symbolic, you know. The consecration of priests, for example, uh, Acts 28, the priests were anointed with oil symbolically to set them apart. In the New Testament, every time it talks about oil, it's a metaphor to be consecrated, to be set apart. So whatever our understanding of this oil, the focus and emphasis is not the oil, but the prayer. There are only two imperatives here. Call elders to pray. Anointing is a participle called ING, right? Means it's subordinated to prayer. Pray is the emphasis. Then while you pray, what you do is anoint with oil and in the name of the Lord. So however understanding it is, the key is call the elders to pray. And what is the result? Verse 15, it says, and the prayer, you see, he didn't say, and the anointing in the oil. He says, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him. And if, if, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Will restore. What do you mean by restore? Is it spiritually or, or physically? When we look at the word restore, sozo, means will save. Every instant it occurs in the book of James is spiritual. 121, you receive the word to save your soul. 2.14, we talk about works and faith. He said, faith, sozo, him, saves him. Okay? But every time it's used in the Gospels, it refers to physical healing. So James often quotes from the Gospel. So it wouldn't be strange if he talks about healing being physical. But actually, we don't have to struggle whether is it spiritual or physical because it could be both, right? You see, he says the prayer offered in faith will restore could be physically or spiritually. If you commit the sin, they will be forgiven. If it's just spiritual restoration, you don't need to say if. He just said he commits sin, will be forgiven. If it's phys just physical restoration, he wouldn't put the second part of the verse about committed sin and forgiven. So the scenario is this. The person is sick. We don't know why they are sick because of sin or not. We call the elders, the spiritual uh, elders to pray for this person. And what we are told is a prayer offered in faith will restore. Okay, so whatever the reason, is it sickness because of sin or not because of sin, we still pray for this person. But please, you know, when someone asks you to pray for them, you know, if their children is sick or their loved one is struggling with something, you don't go there and say, is it because you sin? You know, we laugh, but I've witnessed this before, you know, and I thought, wow, this person EQ very low. Next time I don't bring him out. No, we don't know. But we pray. We pray in faith. The question is, not how we pray, but whether this phrase, verse 15, prayer offered in faith will restore. Is it a guarantee? And to understand a text, we always first ask, is it descriptive or prescriptive? Is it just describing or is it a command? For example, Acts, in the book of Acts, Barnabas sold his, his land and gave it to the church. 
If it was prescriptive, it means all of you go and sell your house and give it to the church. Right? Because it's a command. But we know it's not. It's just descriptive. Right here is prescriptive. Prayer of faith will restore. The second step we take is, you know, this topic, what does the whole Bible teach about it? And we know prayer is always a line between the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. That God is willing to listen, but on the other hand, He's sovereign. And so we ask anything, but we submit everything. So when we look at this topic of healing, uh, when Paul had the thorn in his flesh, he said, he, verse 8, he says, Concerning this, I prayed for the Lord three times that it might leave me, but I didn't. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. In 2 Timothy, he talked about Trophimus. He left sick in Miletus. He didn't heal him. He didn't pray to be healed, right? Timothy was sick. Uh, Paul says, you know, drink something. I forgot, is it drink milk or drink wine, you know? He didn't pray for him to be, uh, he did pray for him, I suppose, but he was not healed. See, the key to prayer, John tells us, if you pray anything in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name doesn't mean just because I say in Jesus' name. It means according to the will of God. According to the will of Jesus. And 1 John 5 tells us the same thing. This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. James 5 earlier, he says, anoint, pray for the person, anoint him with oil and pray in the name of the Lord according to the will of God. So when we look at this text in James 5, person is sick, you ask spiritual elders to pray. We don't know the reason, whether it's because of sin or not. We pray. And there's confession of sin, but we trust the Lord to heal. But sometimes God gives us the confidence, the faith that He will heal. And so we claim and we pray for it. See, some people look at this verse um, that we pray in faith and God will hear our prayers. A prayer offered in faith, He will restore, right? And after praying, the person is not healed. He says, oh, because you don't have faith. Now, let me ask you, verse 15, whose faith are we talking about? Who is offering the prayer? The elders, right? So next time you ask someone to pray for you and the person says, oh, you're not enough faith, you're not healed, you tell that person, excuse me, according to James 5, it's you who don't have enough faith, okay? Right, right. I'm not lying, right? This is what verse 15 says. Of course, they'll quote other verses, so you must go and learn what the other verses mean, okay? I cannot spoon-feed you all the time. Alright, so a prayer of faith is not because of faith, but we submit to the sovereignty of God. And so whether is it um, faith, forgiveness of healing, they are all three, in essence, dispensations of God's grace. This implies the relations between these three are not governed by the law of causality, but the will and intention of God. You know, when I first got to QBC, uh, there was a brother, uh, one of his, he brought his family member to NUH for a checkup, a routine checkup. But it lasted the whole day, so it was a bit strange. Suddenly after dinner time, after eating, right, I had this burden, you know, I just felt like I should go to NUH. So I drove all the way from Jurong to NUH. I got there and I thought, what am I doing, you know? So I didn't text that person, you know. I thought, maybe, you know, I'll just walk around and see what happens. Anyway, I just ate, right? Treat it as an exercise. So I was just roaming within the halls of NUH and suddenly within the dark, dark corridor, right at the end of it, I saw him. His face was so pale, I could make up his face in the dark corridor. 
When I saw him, I was shocked because, you know, I didn't plan to see him, okay? I didn't contact him. I thought maybe he was sleeping, that's why I didn't respond to the text. Maybe he's really up at home, you know? But anyway, I saw him, I was shocked. And he saw me, he was also shocked. He asked, what are you doing here? And I says, um, uh, I was just nearby, I just finished eating, then I came over. What nearby? I drove all the way down from Jurong, you know, but I didn't know how to tell him. I said, God gave me a burden after eating Xiao, this person. Because I, I, I barely know him, okay? And then he told me what happened. He, they got the news about the family member. It was devastating news and he was shocked. And you know, in the instant we prayed in the dark corridor and I knew there was a reason why I was there. I knew that I had to pray for healing because this was why I was there. And thank God, you know, after two years, uh, the family member came out of the situation. So my point is, when we look at this text, we understand what it's saying. James is saying, have faith, pray. But we supplement with other texts about prayer is that it is rounded out by trusting in the sovereignty of God. What we mustn't miss here is there are two themes in this section. It's not just about prayer. It is also about the community of faith. I address this in the pastor's voice, right? Every verse you look is talking about the community. All brethren are called the elders because they are, they are in charge of or they are accountable for this, this fellowship. Uh, confess to one another. Restore the sinner in your midst. It's about the community. It's not just about my prayer life. It's about our prayer life. And so we ask, how often do you pray for your church member, your DG member? How about our prayer meetings? This week, you know, we just had prayer meeting. Did you come? You know, many times, actually, I'm so very tired. Somehow I must attend two, you know. You only attend one, P3, I go P3 and P5. And by the end of the day, I'm tired also. I was like, oh, really? Do I really need to go? But I tell you, every time I go, it's like, uh, I'm thankful. Because as we pray, and you know, God speaks and touches you, He refreshes you. Just this week, you know, I was burdened for a few issues. And as I attended the prayer, listened to God's word, I felt ministered. And our spiritual life is like that, right? It's like sailing. We're often blown off course, then we turn back. Blown off course, then we turn back. The turning points are our quiet times, our prayer meetings, worship. You know, every time we allow God to work in our lives, those are opportunities for us to turn course. Do we pray as a community? Do you pray for your church? And then it says, Therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. Some people would say because of the finished work of Jesus, we do not need to confess our sins anymore because all sins are forgiven. Now that's true. But at the same time, again, don't be so naive, you know. We must round out what does other parts of Scripture say about this, this subject or this topic. 1 John 1.9 says, Confess, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of un- unrighteousness. We still need to confess. And then verse 10, the following verse says, if you say you have no sin, you are lying to yourself. We have been forgiven. We are a child of God. You know, we will not lose our position as a child of God, but we sin. And that affects our relationship with God. So it's like breathing, right? You get COVID, all your lungs, everything clogged up. You cannot breathe properly. So in confession, we clear that. But James 5 is not just talking about confessing to God. It says confess to one another, which is another level, next level up, correct? Talk to God, can or nobody knows. But when we talk to one another, whatever we're struggling with, we bring it into the light and we bear the burdens together. The emphasis is the community and it says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. 
Who is a righteous man? That's a natural question to ask. And he gives an example, like Elijah. He was a man, like a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, if you're like me, uh, I'm fascinated by the second part. I say, wow, three and a half years never rain. Ah. So powerful. But really, the emphasis is not on the second part, but on the first part, right? Because the preceding verse is what? The prayer of a righteous man. Who is a righteous man? Elijah. Who is Elijah? What is Elijah like? He says, his nature is like ours. And yet, he prayed like that. What was Elijah like? Well, he was angry. He called fire down from heaven. He was afraid. He fled for his life. He was depressed, like that. Ah, I don't want to do anything. I was like, eh, looks like me, you know, every Monday. He says, Elijah is just like us, but he prayed. But Elijah loved God. Elijah was for God. But you know, the times he gets discouraged, there's times he gets he gets disillusioned, just like us. And so when you look at the account in 1 Kings, the emphasis is not Elijah. The focus is on the God of Elijah. The God is willing to respond to prayer. And hence here, he talks about the thing not raining. It's not because Elijah have great faith, but it's because his God is willing to respond. Because God was trying to do something through Elijah. And so we pray. We pray and God's will. There's always a fine balance. You remember Daniel? When the Israelites were taken to captivity to Babylon, Jeremiah prophesied 70 years. Daniel knew, and when 70 years was up, God's word says 70 years. What did he do? He prayed. Why does he need to pray? I mean, God already says 70 years, right? So there is a balance between prayer, God willing to respond, and God's sovereignty. We pray because God is willing to respond, but yet, sometimes He does because we pray. There's a fine, mysterious balance. And so as we go back to this text, it says, the prayer of a righteous man accomplishments. Confess your sin. Means you more righteous, accomplish more, correct? How about perfectly righteous? What happens? Perfectly accomplished. Lah. Who is the perfectly righteous man? Not me, not you. Jesus Christ. Romans 8, he says, who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who prays for us. You know, Jesus is praying for us right now. And so our prayers, whatever we say, may be pleasing, may not be pleasing. He takes it. He corrects it. And so we pray, but we submit to His sovereignty. Friends, we grow in prayer because we know God desires to respond and Christ is praying for us. And so the question now, which is the question we began, how do we grow a stronger, deeper prayer life? Honestly ask ourselves, you know, in a week, how much, in a week, how much time do I spend praying? How much time do I spend praying for the church and the people in my DG? How much time do you pray for the pastors? How do we develop a deeper prayer life? First, plan to pray. If you don't plan, you won't pray. You plan even if 10% of the time, you are praying 10% of the time, correct? So every Thursday, I'll send out the text. You know, when I first sent out the text, I told God, I don't know how long I can last. Really, every week? You know, but it's been three years, you know. So I pray on Thursday, sometimes Monday morning I'll pray. So 52 weeks in a year, one year I pray 100 times for the church, pray for you, correct? Sometimes Monday I forget, okay? So, okay, 70 times a year, okay? 
Three years, 210 times I prayed for you and the church. Now, is that a lot? No. But it's better than zero, correct? And so that's how we develop prayer. When we plan, we pray. And not just plan, we also must find ways to prevent us from drifting. God, I pray for the, my children's salvation. Wow, after I must bring them to tuition. Yeah, their results so bad. How? Ah? You know, we get distracted. God, I pray for the salvation or I pray for my colleague. This thing is happening. It's difficult. Oh, yeah, later lunch, what should I eat? We get distracted. Or the best, you know, we pray before we sleep. Dear God, then we wake up. Amen. Wow, we pray through the night. We need to develop ways so we don't drift. For me, you know, it's during a quiet time. After I read God's Word, I actually type out my prayers. So it's concrete, so I can record it. Then when I'm like Elijah, lie there, don't want to do anything, depressed, I go look through my prayer request. Hey, then you realize that God has answered so many of them. Every time they answer, I'll put a red star. You know? So I open my journal, electronic journal, I see all the red star. In Botanic Gardens, when I, after jogging, I will mumble to myself. You know, maybe people look at this person a bit crazy. But I realize when I don't say it out, you know what happens? God, I want to pray for Pastor Leonard. Wow, look at that rooster. You know, you get distracted. You pray halfway, you say, wow, the sunrise is so nice. We develop practical ways so that we don't drift. And then importantly, we have prayer partners. Because we have prayer partners, we meet to pray. It force you to pray. Our church has six intercessors group, the Cantonese group, the Chinese group, English group, got two ushers, got one group, and a group that meets during, meets during the midweek to pray. And for me, of course, prayer partner is my wife. You think you are married, it's easy to pray, but actually very difficult, you know. You pray after you're busy or I'm busy, or before prayer, we argue, then oh, how to pray. Then sometimes very late, I send out texts right on Thursday, sometimes Thursday evening because I forget. And then we are very busy, you know, by the time it's 11 o'clock, oh, everyone's asleep already. <laughs> so I have to wait until 11 or 12 o'clock, then I pray. So those of you, you notice I respond like 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, right? Sometimes I say, can we don't pray, we're tired. And say, no. That's why you need a prayer partner. People say, no, we must pray. And so we need to develop prayer partners. Develop a system for your prayer list. Mingle confession is not just a list to tell God. We learn to listen to God, God's word, Lectio Divina, listen to God's word, respond. And finally, corporate prayer. Repetition means important, right? This is the third time I'm repeating our prayer meetings. You know, I did a survey of all the churches around our area, the mega church, the small church. The percentage is between 15 to 20% of the worshippers come for their worship. There's a church that's at 10%, okay, but he put a sad face there, so I don't want to say who, huh? Our church is at 17%. So he said, wow, not bad. Right? Everybody, 15, 20, we are in that range, right? Very strange, you know, Singaporean Christians, that's, that bend. Well, maybe we're at, at like everybody else, but if our vision is to become a, a spirit-filled, fervently praying church family, can we break through? We have six intercessors group. Can we grow? Can we meet each other at a certain time if we work together at a near Raffles place or somewhere? Meet together to pray. Or now have Zoom, right? We just fix a time and we start praying. You don't have to be always consistent. You can miss sometimes, but at least you are praying. And week by week, day by day, week by week, year by year, we grow deeper and deeper in our prayer life. Now, if those of you, you want to be on our, my prayer broadcast, you can scan this QR code and just fill in your details. There are about two, three hundred people on that, on that broadcast, okay, but... Some of you are newer, some of you uh, have not done it. If you want, you can scan and then leave your details on top and I'll respond to you. Of course, you must have WhatsApp, alright? Now, 
I ask the prayer request. You can don't reply, but every time you get it, maybe you stop to pray for your DG, stop to pray for your church, stop to pray for the pastor, you know, who every day feel like Elijah wants to lie down and don't do anything. And then week by week, eh, I pray 52 times, you also pray 52 times, right? Now, as we come to the end of the book of James, the mark of spiritual maturity is to live up practically how the religion in our life. And James ends with prayer because that is the foundation, that is the basis of our relationship with God. We have to lean into God. We have to build our prayer muscles in easy times so that in tough times, we have the resources to go through them. And the friends, the reason we pray is because we have a God who is willing to listen to prayer. He delights in listening to us and drawing near to us. In 2017, there's a movie called Dunkirk. Don't know if you watched it by Christopher Nolan. Dunkirk is a, a seaside uh, in France. Operation Dunkirk is one of the most important uh, rescue operations in the history of mankind. In the Second World War, 330,000 Allied soldiers were trapped uh, at Dunkirk along the shoreline. Hitler and his, and his German armies were advancing. They come and if they destroy the 330,000, that's it for the Allied forces. But three miracles happened. Firstly, 10 kilometers away, his tanks, the German tanks and soldiers stopped. See, Hitler wanted to use his air force, his superior air force. But there was a huge storm over the land and so the planes couldn't take off. And if the planes couldn't take off, he didn't want to risk his army. So he gave the Allied forces time to rescue those 330,000 soldiers. The second miracle, even though there was a huge storm over land, you know, across the English Channel, the sea between England and France, it was so peaceful like a, a pond. And they were able to carry out the operation successfully. The third miracle, which was the focus of the movie Dunkirk. The Royal Navy sent all their ships and they can only take 20 to 30,000 soldiers. Only 10% of those people there. So the Prime Minister at the time, Churchill, he issued a call to all the people of, U of Britain, of UK. He says, if you have boats or ships, go across the channel and rescue the soldiers. The next morning, 800 ships turned up tank boats, yachts, fishing vessels, and they rescued all 330. J. John, who is the speaker for, English speaker for COH, he said, when Christopher Nolan filmed the movie Dunkirk, he left out the most important part of the operation, which was prayer. Because on May 23rd, 1940, King George VI, the king at that time, he issued a call to make that Sunday a day of prayer. Saturday night, late Saturday night, the Allied commander decided to pull out all the forces and that is why resulting in the situation in Dunkirk. The next morning, all the churches, Catholic churches, Christian churches, synagogues were packed with people. There were queues outside waiting to come in to pray. The ministers, the royals gathered in Westminster Abbey to pray. And friends, they did not pray for the safety of the soldiers. They did not pray for the victory of the war. They prayed for the repentance of the people. And J. John said, he didn't think those three miracles were a coincidence. They prayed and God responded. 
And, and the people of the UK, they declared the following week, June the 9th, as a day of thanksgiving. And Churchill coined the term, the miracle of Dunkirk. Today, we don't like to talk about miracles. We talk about signs. You know, back then, no one would argue with the religious faith that it was a miracle because they saw the hand of God everywhere. Today in our culture, no one will argue with the atheistic faith that it was not a miracle because we see the hand of God nowhere. But friends, the miracle of Dunkirk serves as a reminder of what Scripture tells us. No matter what people think, as people of faith, as a community of faith as QBC, we believe God answers prayer. It's an encouragement for us to pray in faith. And so no matter what your problem is, how great your problem is, God is greater than them all. Let us pray. Let's spend some silent moments before God uh, to respond to Him in prayer. Maybe something you heard today or maybe throughout the series, we respond and to God in prayer. I'll give you some time to do it.